the full term is androgenic anabolic steroid. Androgenic means male hormone-like, anabolic means to build, and steroid is a class of drugs that these are. These are derivatives of cholesterol. Your body has male hormones in it, derivatives of testosterone. And these drugs are manufactured synthetically, and we use them in medicine for people who have certain types of anemias or different types of diseases. The athletes, unfortunately, use these hormone drugs in order to enhance their growth of muscle, their ability to retain weight, nitrogen, and all these different elements that they retain. The drugs do work. Um, that was a mistake the medical community made in that they said that the drugs do not enhance performance. The athletes knew they enhanced performance, so now when we tell them, well, the drugs will also hurt you, they say, well, you lied to us about this part. Why should we believe you about this part now? Uh, the drugs do make a difference, whether it's 2% or 5% or whatever. There is a definitive advantage. However, they don't get to keep the advantage. For instance, an athlete takes these, he might shoot up quick, but it'll come down quick also, where an athlete that trains naturally will come up slower, go even beyond where the other athlete and then stay at this high level for a longer period of time and begin a gradual decline. These athletes will burn out much earlier. The Scholars and Iron Podcast. What's so special about natural training anyway? Is it the mindset, the ethics, being extremely patient? I spoke to Joe Van Cleve, owner of Dedicated Strength, a garage gym located in the heart of D.C., where we spoke about natties, the juice, and training. So let's get into it. Joe, start us off. Could you give me a sketch about who you are and some of your lifting history? Okay, so basically my lifting history, I actually started lifting when I was about 12, and I was in seventh grade, transitioning to eighth grade. And, of course, football is the reason. So I remember when I very first started so vividly. Um, it's kind of a funny story. And luckily, in that age group of strength and conditioning, the professionalism of the coaches aspect has improved dramatically over the past 20-some years since I've been in high school and junior high and all that. But uh, I remember this so well. But Coach Bo was one of the assistant football coaches. I want to say he was the linebacker coach for our high school, and basically he headed the weight room, and he knew some stuff about lifting weights and training and all that, but of course he's not like a, a strength coach from any perspective, he was just a, a guy who knew around the weight room and things like that, so I remember when we started up, I we had the option, we could do chest, back, and tries, or legs, shoulders, and buys, so those were the options that what we could lift back then, and uh I remember kind of going in like everybody else in the world. Uh, you think your legs are strong because everybody assumes that for some reason. But I did martial arts like my whole life. I started Taekwondo when I think I was seven. I got my first black when I was 16. So I always kind of had a base of that. So, of course, I chose legs, shoulders, and buys because I thought my legs were strong. So I thought I would do well with that. And I remember the very first time I grabbed the bar, I was so humbled at how heavy the bear bar was at 12, or at, uh, 12 years old. And we lifted, we did all this stuff. I did my leg, shoulders, and bias workout. And then this is something where has, this has improved dramatically over time with coaches making better programming decisions and actually having legit strength coaches oversee these programs. Well, anyway, after we lifted, we went outside and did sprints, which after lifting legs is a terrible idea, especially for your first time ever doing something like that. And I remember I kind of dead sprinted in the first sprint, and I face-planted on the ground. The legs just completely gave out on the blacktop, like, you know, three or four steps in. 
And I remember I felt kind of stupid, but it was kind of one of those moments where you're kind of humbled a little bit, and in a weird way, it kind of challenges you, and you're just like, mm, I don't want that to happen again. So in a weird way, that kind of, like, turned me on to lifting. And so that's about when I started, and that was what happened the very first time I did it. And I still remember that story today, and I'm going to be 36 years old later this year. So it's kind of funny how that happens. I always kind of did sports. I was a three-sport athlete in high school, and I kept training through that whole process. And when I got to college, I had the choice to wrestle in college, but I just did not want to, to be frank about it. And I enjoyed it. I loved the sport. It still will save this day. That is one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I just wasn't in a place where I really wanted to commit as much to it as I would have had to to kind of up my game for collegiate level. So basically, when I went to college, I kind of started getting into bodybuilding and things like that because I knew I loved the training aspect and the sport portion of it was no longer in my life, but I knew I wanted to stay with training. So started doing that, reading the Arnold Bible and all those standard things, all the bodybuilder people do, start reading some bodybuilding.com articles, and just kind of got into it from there and kept training, and then ended up getting my bachelor's from Bowling Green in exercise science, and my specialization was in program design, and then a little bit after that, I ended up getting my master's in sport and health sciences from American Military University. And then with that, certification-wise, I ended up getting my CSCS. Um, I'm also a certified personal trainer through the American College of Sports Medicine. And with our competitive teams now, I coach weightlifting and powerlifting. So I actually have my level two USA weightlifting certification, and I'm also a USAPL certified club coach. So with all those things, kind of established my base knowledge and also just practical experience in training. I won two golds in natural bodybuilding. Uh, I actually won it overall in the 2012 OCB Atlantic Super Show. That was kind of cool. So I did that. I have competed in powerlifting, and now I actually have three international gold medals and Masters weightlifting that I got at the Masters Pan Ams last year. So with that, I've kind of competed in a bunch of different spectrums of it, too, and I just love the coaching aspects of it. I love the training aspects. I love seeing other people do things they never thought they could do, and you met me. You know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, and for me, it was always kind of, as a dude, there's just this unwritten rule that you have to be this big guy, and you really don't, and there's so many times I've been kind of stereotyped for what I look like and different things like that where I always feel like I'm at the mercy of other people's opinions and perceptions of me. And the weight room was always kind of one of those places where none of those rules applied to me. And I can kind of create my own destiny with hard work and just being smart about things and, and work ethic. And I just loved it, man. So it was always kind of a haven for me. And I'm fortunate nowadays to be able to kind of hand off that stuff to other people. One of the, the beauties of what we do is dedicated strength. Like we are a, a serious old school barbell focused facility, but on the flip side of that, we're really a place for everybody that has desire to improve and get better. And everybody kind of feels comfortable there, which is kind of crazy when you can have somebody deadlift in five something and then two feet over, you have a 73 year old man doing some rotator cuff rehabs with a, a very small band yet it really is that communal kind of feel that we want out of the gym. And I think it's cool that we've 
kind of established such a, a melting pot in BS of just all these different demographics of people. Oh, that's great, man. So you said you've competed in three of the main barbell sports, bodybuilding, powerlifting, and Olympic weightlifting. Now, in your experience, was it hard to transition from one of those sports to the other? Oftentimes we hear powerlifting and weightlifting as being sort of juxtaposed to each other. Is there a main factor involved which could make it easier to go from one to the next? The biggest thing that I would apply to all three of those is stay relatively lean and find what body weight you're going to be the strongest in. Because if you want to throw bodybuilding into any equation, especially natural bodybuilding, I mean, yes, every now and then you're going to get that monstrosity of a freak of a person that just has it, and that's amazing. It's so, so great. But the 99% of the population, natural bodybuilding, being big is great, but whoever is the leanest is probably going to win. And it always comes down to that. So if you are the biggest guy in the world, but they can't see the striations, predominantly getting close to a striated glute, that's always kind of considered the gold standard of leanness. If you're not getting close to that, you're, you can do well and all that in a little small local show and things like that. But if you're trying to go anywhere with some ambitious, and some ambition, you're not really going to have a shot. So with that, you have to stay lean and then basically maintain that leanness and try to find ways to do those other strength sports while maintaining that lower body fat percentage. And I would say that would probably be the number one thing you'd have to maintain because at any body weight, one can get stronger. And for training for bodybuilding or weightlifting, there are going to be carryovers of exercises that you're doing. Like you're going to squat and all of them. You have to, you know, there's, you're going to be doing things like that. You're going to be doing deadlifts or pulls. You're going to be doing some type of hinge pattern. So the training and the protocols, I mean, minus some specifics of like snatch work, clean and jerk work, some breakdown assistance work for power lifts, things like that. I mean, that's, they all have their little individual traits, but in the big scheme of things, the training is going to be fairly similar. And that's something a lot of people don't fully think. They think to do bodybuilding, they have to do only all these ISO exercises all the time. You do them, but they're like a supplemental lift or an auxiliary lift and powerlifting. You still start with those big main courses, and then you have your side dishes around it. So the training is not going to be that much different, but you just have to stay lean because, like I said, if you've got a layer of fat over everything, you're not going to place well in bodybuilding. And that's going to keep in that leanness and maintaining that. That will probably keep you in more doable weight classes in the other sports as well, and you can just see how strong you can get at that relative body weight. And But that said, the the leanness is going to be the harder thing to master. So I would just try to prioritize that and then let everything else fill in around that. You know, I'm glad you brought up the natural component to all these sports. Obviously, in bodybuilding, there's more of a hush-hush atmosphere to admitting to taking steroids. And anecdotally, at least, powerlifters seem to be a bit more open about it. Why did you decide to train natural? And why do you think it's good to train naturally without anabolic agents? It's different to me because I'm a professional that works in the field. Sure, we all want to take care of ourselves and stay healthy as best possible, but with doing things that aren't necessarily natural, usually only bad things happen when these things start getting abused and taken to extremes. Um, There could be some small, healthy amounts of things that could be professionally and well-orchestrated to where you may not have some of the negative health complications that come 
with some overuse and addiction and abuse that sadly a lot of the people using things that are not natural kind of fall into. But without all that around that, like for me it's what do I want to project to other people? And personally I want to project to other people realistic expectations. And that's not saying if someone is using something they haven't put in the work and they aren't just magically beasts because they use that. I'm not saying that at all. They do have to put in the work. They do have to nail their diet and all that. And all those things still have to be there. So it's not effortless. But the recovery time is very, very quick compared to what a human body can naturally withstand. Typically the volume, everything is. The total amount of stress one can endure is much higher than the average person. And with that, people get so caught up in seeing people that are not natural on social media, on TV, marketing products, saying, I'm huge because I use this protein powder and things like that. And it kind of skews what people's expectations are, especially for beginners that haven't trained a whole lot in their life. So for me, it's much more projecting what I want people to know is realistic. It seems like today steroid usage is pervasive. And while it's impressive to see some guys squat over a thousand pounds, I have to wonder whether or not the enhanced athletes aren't sort of stealing the natty's thunder, you know, like wrecking a level playing field. So to take away from natural athletes, I I would have to say if they're on the same playing field, yes, but they're on the, if they're on a different playing field, no. That would be my thought on that. But the dilemma with that is anyone, and this is kind of a different topic saying this, but it's kind of going into if we're, we're separating tested from non-tested stuff. Um, ultimately, if anybody cares about a sport, which is an athlete, a spectator, anything like that, you should want that sport to succeed, and you have to realize that sport is bigger than you as an athlete. And if you want your sport to succeed, you want that sport to be the highest level possible thing. And the problem with that what is the highest possible level of competition for a sport? The Olympics, right? I mean, that's kind of the pinnacle of everything in a way. It's the ultimate competition. It's it's the top. And the testing policies, things like that, um, It's they're always working on improving it and trying to stiffen it up. But ultimately, as much as I hate to say it, and power, powerlifting's in the Paralympics. It has been for as long as I can remember, and that's awesome. It's so great uh, seeing a legless bench press or bench 400, 500, 600 pounds. That's insane. So awesome. But sadly, powerlifting is not in the Olympics, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact of these lack of regulations and different protocols of testing, different things going along the lines of that. Um, so it's like, in a way... If people are doing these things and choosing to do these things, it, in a way, it's kind of one of those things that is hindering their sport from being at the top level for the world to see, which is kind of the Olympics from a certain point of view. And that's honestly why weightlifting is cracking down harder and harder. And this may not be known by a ton of people, but weightlifting actually, because a lot of Russians, Eastern European countries, um, Asian countries, a lot of international weightlifting is still very dirty um, with things like that, and they've been trying to improve it. But sadly, the not a lot of people know this, but the last two Olympic Games, actually, I can't really say the last two because it was Rio and then the one that was supposed to be happening in Tokyo. 
this summer, which of course is not happening, but so counting this one and then Rio, weightlifting was almost threatened to be taken off the pallet completely because of just cleanliness and the sport and issues with that and track and field's always under scrutiny too with it, but we all know there's no way a Summer Olympics is not going to have track and field. It's too big, it's too popular, it's half the events. Uh, weightlifting, a little small thing that may get five minutes of streaming time somewhere, they can easily get rid of that. So they've been threatening to get rid of weightlifting in the Olympics for a couple games now because of dirty play, and that's why the IWF has been really cracking down on usage and things like that, and I think that's great that they're doing that, but it all comes down to they want their sport to be at the highest level, which anybody that loves their sport should want to see their sport take part on the biggest stage possible because the athletes deserve that stage and the sport deserves that recognition. And with any type of exposure, you have growth. So it makes the sport bigger, gets more people doing it. So it all kind of trickles back down to that. But, yeah. There was an article in a noteworthy bodybuilding magazine about three or four years ago which raised, I think, an important existential question for the sport. What if the anabolics became so good that you could stack a whole bunch of them and be stage ready in a matter of months? Yeah, and I could definitely see where he's trying to go with that statement, but my follow-up to that would be, is there some type of performance involved? And the answer would be yes. That would never go away. The lineups, the posing, the routines, the comparisons. Is there training that's going to lead up to it? Yes. So... With sport, there's a there's a live performance. There's something you're doing. I mean, I remember this was like way outside the box, but I was somebody was talking about NASCAR as a sport and things like that. And I I'm, I don't follow NASCAR. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, or, and I think it's cool, and I would love to be able to drive around like that. I think it would be sweet, but I do not do it, and I don't necessarily follow it. But the hand-eye coordination, the fine motor skills that are involved in that, um, your reaction time has to be very quick. So there is natural athleticism applied to that. I mean, it's hand-eye coordination. It's things comparable to golf and swinging a baseball bat from that standpoint. But there's some really fine-tuned motor skills involved. And also the stress on the heart and the cardiorespiratory systems in the body, like there's these NASCAR drivers can sweat out like 10 to 12 pounds during a race. And it's all just from the heat, all that equipment, and they're under extreme stress during this time. So with all that, I mean, you have to be doing a lot of cardio training. Your heart has to be in great condition to be able to sit in a 120-degree car for six hours straight, being able to react and do all those things. So, yeah, it's not like athleticism as we typically picture it and think of it, but from a weird perspective, it's it's definitely a sport with all those things factored into it. And with bodybuilding, it's like there is performance elements. You can go up and miss your poses. Like, there's a, there's a lot you could do. So I would always say it will be a sport with that, no matter what the evolution of the chemistry people are putting in their bodies would be. You're still going to have those elements. So with that, it's still going to be a sport. Dedicated strength, your gym, has weightlifting, and it seems that the sport itself has grown tremendously. What do you think might account for this? Uh, 110% without question CrossFit. Zero, <laughs> zero, zero question to that. And that's from a financial aspect as well as just actually people doing the lifts. Because 
I'm not a, a big fan of it, and I respect anything. Don't get me wrong. I'm never going to say anything bad about CrossFit. I, I respect the people that do it. Uh, the coaches are great if you find the right places, but that's the same as every other end of this industry. You can find trainers that are incredible, world-class people. You can have trainers that are still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, you really found your trainer when you have a world-class person that is admitting he's still trying to figure it out. Because then you know that's somebody that's still going to be going strong and learning new things forever. That's beautiful. But with CrossFit, what came out with it, to me, I kind of phrase it, it's like an intro course. It's like your gen ed to barbell sports. Because it kind of threw all these different movements in there and what people do in class. And then after a while, people, a lot of people kind of get sick of doing these wads and these really endurance types of workouts, which CrossFit is predominantly endurance and not much more in the big scheme of things. I mean, yes, when you get to the games and high, high levels, then yes, there's going to be strong people, world-class athletes doing those things, but for 90% of the population who's the average CrossFit goers, they're working on their endurance and they're doing endurance types of training. So with that, though, they kind of get bored. Some of these people get bored with that, and then they start being like, I kind of like doing these lifts. So I kind of want to focus on that. And then they start branching off and they go into powerlifting or weightlifting and things like that. And with that, people really got into knowing what a snatch and clean and jerk was. Um, I can't tell you how many times, I mean currently, but it's getting a lot less, but how many times people have called weightlifting powerlifting and <laughs> powerlifting weightlifting. It's like, oh, so it's like this movement. And they'll throw their arms over their head. And I'm like, no, powerlifting, bench squat, deadlift, that's weightlifting, actually. But people didn't even know what any of this stuff was until CrossFit kind of started showing what these things are to the everyday person. And then with that, there was a big CrossFit gym explosion that kind of happened in the early 2000s. And then with that came the financial aspect where Rogue came out, who was an incredible company. But back in the day, you had to go through Elico, which, again, is a great company, but their stuff is not cheap and it's still not cheap, where Rogue came out and started making cheaper weightlifting equipment to where people could buy it. So you got deep, quick stuff that somebody can find a gym that does weightlifting through a CrossFit box on their street corner. They have places where there's cheap equipment where they can get stuff and actually do those movements, and they learned what it was. And honestly, that's all because of CrossFit and what CrossFit has done in the mainstream. So I would say that was 100% what caused this weightlifting explosion. There seems to be an enormous diversity of training protocols in these sports, and I imagine that a lot of that might also be due to sort of repackaging and marketing, but you'll hear some lifters really become patriotic about their programs. So, you know, for example, if you talk to people into conjugate, they totally trash on linear progression models, and then there are others who are of the view that, hey, as long as you put the work in, you'll get the results. So where do you stand in all of this? So... Discipline is always there, and consistency is always there. But my answer with that would come down to the athlete and their advancement in the sport, in the lifting style. For most, and this is actually fairly well validated in a lot of research, most beginners can milk a linear program as long as it's working, milk it till it's dry, and stick with something basic, stay consistent with it. That will a basic, basic, basic linear progressive program is going to take most people to where they need to go. And then when they start branching off into something that's more undulated or conjugate or something like that, 
those are usually people that have completely tapped those linear gains drive where they have to start spicing it up and doing something advanced. And that's actually a problem that I see with a lot of lifters today. I don't know if it's whether they just feel they're more advanced than they are or it's just what they got used to seeing with social media and everybody ever selling their new groundbreaking program and things like that. But doing advanced stuff before you really need to be doing advanced stuff is just such a such an issue. And as long as you're your own self, your own body, you have your own genetics, you had your own parents that created you, you have all those different things, you have to find what's going to work best for you as an individual. And what works for somebody else, there's no way to prove that's going to actually work for you. So I would say with that, the beginners stick to something as basic as they possibly can to stay consistent, be mindful, and start kind of learning what's actually going to work for you within that system and learn what's not working. And when you're, it's easy to figure out what's working and what's not if you're competing for performance in those lifts because then you're not going to see that lift improving and then you're seeing your other ones improve. So clearly there's issues that work. So it actually becomes a little more easy to dissect what's going wrong with certain lifts and how to start coming about fixing them, but I would say largely with that, these different protocols, it's largely on the advancement of the athlete. Um, I, powerlifters right now uh, that have actually been competing for DS, I, I will say over the past two years, we have been 100% female, our entire powerlifting team, and Almost all of them have completely started from scratch with me. Uh, Brittany is the exception. When Brittany came to me, she had already lifted at 100% Raw World. So she had already, she's already had quite a few meets under her belt, and she kind of just started working with me to take her to higher places, which we have done. Um, but outside of her, literally all my girls, I have doing some fairly linear stuff. I don't have one single person do anything conjugate, things like that. Um, and that's not saying that's bad, but that's just my best judgment call where I feel they're at. And they're still building a base. And I got, I think there's, I think there's 11 of them total on our team currently. And so 10 out of 11 are following some very, very basic programming. And I'm just trusting my judgment on things, but we haven't had to spice it up and they've, they've done well. Uh, I think our last meet, where we took most of the team, we went up to Philly last October, and I think we had, it was either eight or nine. I think it was eight. We had eight ladies compete there, and out of the eight, uh, five of them medaled, and I want to say out of those five, I think three were golds, and so they, they do well, but it just comes down to the experience of the person, but like anything else, you got to walk before you run, and it's always cool for people to be educating themselves off Louis Simmons and some of these great minds over the years, and that's that's great, but you also have to look at the pool of people that they're working with. I mean, Louis literally was a headhunter for top-caliber people, so he's starting with that, and then there may or may not be natural things going on there, which is to each their own, but that's also a variable people aren't necessarily being receptive of. They just see those PRs on Instagram, so... You just have to kind of know what's what's the realistic expectation. And if there's anything I would stress to anybody, I would be more of a school of thought of, yes, with the more advanced you become, the more things you have to try. 
but I would be much more of the school of thought is do something basic, stick to it, be consistent. That's going to take most people where they're trying to go. And Joe, let me ask you one last question. What has been your proudest moment as a coach? So I've had, for me, I've had some very, I've had some really, really cool moments with people. I'm not going to name names, but I've had some people hit some big lifts when they needed them the most. And to me personally, those were some of my favorite moments of coaching. I'm not going to name names. If they actually listen to this, they're going to know who they are. But competitions, for me especially, seeing people come back after a missed lift or if it's a really high competition where somebody just pulled ahead of them with their total and we know that, and then our girl kind of pulls right back ahead when they needed it the most, that's some of the coolest stuff I've seen. So I've had a few cases where I've had some lifters missing, miss a lift that completely shook them up. You could tell they were off mentally and had to have that talk like, look, powerlifting, it's a game of nine lifts, not one. So these next six you have are much more important than that third there. But, and then seeing them go back and hit that next attempt, that to me those are some of the most beautiful moments because that shows me what I'm coaching, which, yeah, it's a sport, but we're coaching mentality and we're coaching how they approach it. And we could all say with training, what it directly teaches us is how to deal with adversity and how to get through a hard situation. And when I see one of my lifters come back after something that threw them off, that shows they have that toughness, and that shows me that they are learning that that it factor. They are learning how to stay tough and come back and regroup, and I love seeing that. So those are some of my favorite moments. Um, I can think of three off the top of my head that were really, really special, and I'll let them figure that out. <laughs> That's all we have for today, guys. I just want to thank Joe Van Cleve for the great talk. Music by Robert Slomp. For Scholars and Iron, this is Joe, signing off.